I'm Will Hazlitt of R9 Media Radio, and this is Quick Take, where we ask a specific question and get a specific answer from an expert in the field. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our expert, United States Air Force Major Michael Barnstable, retired. Major Barnstable served 21 years in the United States Air Force with a primary Air Force specialty code of Navigator Bombardier. He also spent 14 years as a military contractor at United States Central Command. His various assignment locations included Mather Air Force Base in California, Castle Air Force Base in California, Anderson Air Force Base in Guam, Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana, Moron Air Base in Spain, Fort Hood, Texas, and McDill Air Force Base in Florida. His many duty assignments included numerous locations in the Far East, Middle East, and Europe. He performed duties at the Squadron Wing, Army Division, and Combatant Command levels. The Major has 5,000 plus hours in the B-52 G and H models, including combat time, in Operations Desert Storm, and Enduring Freedom. His many duties included B-52 Navigator, also as an instructor. Also, Major Barnstable was the Air Liaison Officer for the 2nd Brigade Combat Team, 2nd Armored Division. He was also the Joint Operations Officer at United States Central Command, and also Command and Control Officer in charge, also at CENTCOM, Contract Staff Combating in the Weapons of Mass Destruction Division, also at U.S. Central Command, and Contract Staff, United States Central Command, J-5 Special Plans Division. Additionally, the Major worked in conventional operations, special operations, black and white, and a short time in research and development. And lastly, uh, Major Barnstable uh, held a top-secret clearance for more than 30 years with a special compartmented information caveat for 16 years. So uh, Major Barnstable will be answering our question or quick take question uh, for today, which is, Major Barnstable, could you please explain to us the difference between strategic level thinking and tactical level thinking in the military and perhaps also how it applies to how one operates in uh, the world on a day-to-day basis. So without further ado, uh, I give you Major Barnstable. Major? Thanks very much, Will. I appreciate that uh, introduction. Uh, A couple small things I'd like to bring up front. Um, On a knit-knack kind of a pick here, uh, it's Mather Air Force Base, not Mather. All right, all right. (laughs) And and secondly... um, the uh, expert might be an overblown description for my, uh, my expertise here. I, I do have 30 plus years of experience in the military and around the military, and I've been at all the levels of command within the military. Understood. But everything I say here is my personal opinion based on my experience. Understood. I do not claim to be an academic expert in this topic. Right. Okay. So the difference between tactical and strategic, um, they are originally military terms, that now have been incorporated into almost everything we do in life now. You have tactical and strategic planning. You have tactical and strategic intelligence. You you have any number of applications of the tactical and strategic. In the the military sense, 
Tactics, if you can think of it simply, tactics are the use of forces and engagements. Strategy would be the use of engagements to win the war. And that does all sorts of branching out or rooting in tactical versus strategic planning and also the amount of time required to do either. And you can find numerous articles everywhere on all of this. Um, In the military, some additional levels have been kind of added. I mean, the tactical and strategic was first coined by Clausewitz way over 100 years ago, and he only had the tactical and strategic levels. In about the 1920s, a, um, a Russian actually came up with the operational level as a way to link the tactical and strategic levels. Because all of these levels, whether they're uh, in business, in life, or in the military, they all blur on the edges and, and meld together. And it's there's just volumes of studies on how to figure out which level you're in and what you should be doing at that level. So the operational level, as I said, was added in to link the tactical and strategic. Um, recently, and I don't know when it came about, they've added a fourth level, and that level is the political level. Now, I don't really necessarily agree or understand that the political level would be a separate level. And on the business side, I doubt it has that kind of a level. It would almost be like an ultra-strategic level. So an easy way to think of it, I think, is like a football team. If you think about a football team, you have the players. They are the tactical level. They are worried about beating the guy in front of him and executing the play correctly. Then you have the coaches who, of course, are worried about you know, bringing all of those individual players together to win the game. And then you have the owner who, of course, has a completely different set of priorities, all of which affect the lower two levels, and the lower two levels affect his level. And then lastly, I guess if you want to conclude the political level, you could call the NFL the political level. That's kind of the best way to look at it. Um, I guess, you know, tactical, if you want to put it in a, in a fairly easy construct, tactical is about the present, the day-to-day. It's about execution. It's about how, really. Where strategic is about the what and why, right? Strategic is about the future. You know, where is our effort headed and, and what, what is the vision? Strategic thinkers spend their time coming up with the vision. They spend their time worried about the, the what, you know, and how to get to that what. So when you talk about the difference, that's essentially it. And in society, it has manifested itself as essentially different levels of society. So you have the workers, tactical. You have the managers and midline people. Those would be operational. Then you have the owner of the company. He's at the strategic level and the people that work directly for him are at the strategic level. Um, the problem with not knowing where you are and what you should be doing is there's unintended consequences that occur. And again, my personal opinion, I look at the police in the United States of America and I see that from my point of view, the problem with policing in America is that you've got people who are at at least the operational level and probably should be at the strategic level in their way of thinking, but instead are stuck in a tactical. So that's why you have so many people not happy with the police in America because they, they are raised up in their system. They start at the tactical level and frankly, they almost never get out of the tactical level. I would not say that a police chief is a strategic level thinker. He is worried about one little thing 
And that's all. He's worried about a crime rate and getting his department funded or her department funded. They don't consider the actions that their way of thinking and their people's way of thinking are going to have on society as a larger piece. And I think that's very evident in everything that's been happening in the last two years. So it's, it's, that's essentially, really, that's essentially it. Let me just interject and uh, ask you one question. Uh, going back to the strategic, operational, and um, uh, tactical level thinking. So is this why you will sometimes hear people in the military, let's say, after a, uh, or, or during the course of some sort of uh, mission, who are, obviously, even the layman can tell, they are at the tactical level, disagreeing with the uh, strategic level, or perhaps not disagreeing, but not being aware of the greater strategic issue that is, uh, has presented itself. Yeah, absolutely. And a perfect example of that is um, back when um, we started having to tell frontline fighters that they needed to think about how they protected themselves. Um, early on in our conflicts in the Middle East, the, you know, the saying, it moves, it dies, was very prevalent. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when you shoot every vehicle that drives by and kill everybody in it, you're killing a lot of innocent people. And in that culture, you're also making a lot more enemies. So for every one of those vehicles you blew up that had four innocent people in it, you probably created 15 or 20 terrorists. Uh, so the bigger strategic level people were thinking, we need to look at this as an overall effect on the region and that, uh, the impact that effect will have on our accomplishing the goals of our being there. Um, that resulted in orders coming down from Central Command to the tactical level units to say, you know, more or less, do not fire until fired upon. Well, obviously our frontline Marines in particular, they were not very happy with that decision. And there was a movie with Brad Pitt in it that I can't remember the name of right now where he played a, uh, like a four-star commander. And he, he made that decision. And of course, immediately all the actors playing the Marines and tactical were like, I'm confused. I thought we were here to kill. I thought that was our job. We're this and that and that and there. And they're very upset. But of course, from the commander's point of view, when you manufacture four or five terrorists for every one innocent people you, you kill, one innocent person you kill, you got to stop killing innocent people without a really, really, really good reason. And because you shouted, shouted stop at a vehicle where they probably don't even understand English, that's not a good enough reason. Would you say, if I could interject one more time, if, would you also say that the problem of understanding these different levels and how they combine to achieve the ultimate end is something that escapes the average American? It's possible. You can say that. Although strategic and tactical have been interwoven in American business for quite a while now, as I said, there's just volumes of literature out there on this very topic. Right. And, and it's even now, even today, I, you know, I did a little bit of limited research in the hour before he came here. Right. And I mean, I could read one article and it would say A, and I read another article and say B. And it's like, they were almost diametrically opposed to one another. And right. I'm like, well, you know, and again, in the military sense, in like our joint publications that tell us how to operate at a larger level, you know, give us our basic concepts. Even then it says that, you know, there is no limit or boundary to either level, right. to any levels. So they're going to over, they're going to overlap and they're going to impact one another constantly. Right. Uh, let me just clarify 
uh, and try to ask the question in a different way. Tactical, strategic at the public level where, as you mentioned, businesses and uh, et cetera. My question really was going toward do or does the public understand this in the sense of how it is uh, you or not how it's used, but how it is implemented in a military context. For instance, we hear on the news all the time, we only hear the tactical level occurrences for the most part, where we hear uh, some troops did this or some airplanes did that, but we never hear the, the larger strategic. So I would just give you an example of that. Uh, and perhaps you could expand on that briefly. In recent congressional testimony, uh, General Milley, who is, uh, if I'm correct, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, yep. said that he has read Marx and Mao and things like this. So for me, that would be an example of how someone at the strategic level of thinking incorporates broader thinking, correct. which does not necessarily uh, filter down to the tactical level thinking. Would you correct. agree with that or could you expand on that? Well, absolutely, I would agree with that. And in the military anyway, it's designed that way. It's designed that way from the beginning. When you're younger and your focus is on accomplishing what task you've been given, you really don't need to worry about the strategic level that much. Uh, less so now than before. I mean, before it was really cut and dried. And, you know, if you were at a lower or mid-level and you were started questioning the people above you, you, you were essentially told to shut up in color. Okay? Vietnam changed that. Vietnam, because the news media got in and showed a lot of stuff that just, that, you know, supposed strategic thinkers weren't really thinking very well and, and making silly demands of tactical forces, that changed that attitude. And now everybody is encouraged to question the next level up. Uh, I have mixed feelings on the, the on efficacy that. of that, but, uh, but um, it is the way it is. So generally I would say, no, they're not that aware of what's above them, um, but it's really not their job to be aware of that. It's their job to execute the task at hand. So lastly, and perhaps we can close on this, there was a recent book written by, I believe the author's last name is Moyne, and I think his first name is Samuel, and I think you and I discussed this, where uh, he talked about how, uh, despite the fact that war is cruel, it is less cruel in the 21st century than it was even 30, 40, 50 uh, years ago. And does what you just said, or what we've been discussing, I should say, does this lead us to the point where war, while still being cruel, continues to get less cruel because of more thinking at all levels by all parties concerned? Let's just say that. Well, I, I mean, mean, less cruelty being relative. Right. Well, you can make the argument that the exact kind of thinking that I was talking about with General Petraeus and when he said we need to start, you know, no, don't shoot until fired upon, that level of thinking might be, you know, driving all of our smart weapons and all those kinds of things that allow us in the end to be less cruel because we're more targeted, right? I mean, again, in my opinion, if you look at what's going on right now in Ukraine, it's a pretty simple difference. You saw what we did in, you know, our 20 years or whatever in the Middle East versus what Russia is doing. And Russia, in my mind, is they're stuck in the World War II thought processes, right? I mean, they're leveling Maripol. They're leveling it. I mean, it's just not going to exist anymore. It's going to be gone. And that's 
not the type of thinking that we in the West have anymore, okay? And I just don't know that Russia has moved forward in its thinking about how to conduct war. Well, let me just ask you then, let's just try to go a little further in regard to what you just said. What does that reflect in your mind? Societal differences or differences in military doctrine? Both. The, both. I believe it's both, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Russian society is still, you know, fed the Great War and 20 million dead, you know, every week in the propaganda that comes their way, you know. And innovation in the uh, Russian military has, you know, t- typically been frowned upon, mm. you know, do it the way we've always done it is mm. their mantra. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and honestly, I'm looking at what's going on right now in this time frame, they're essentially conducting a World War II campaign. And uh, the only difference being they've got some weapons that can stand off a little further and, and strike targets. But, but let me just ask you then, again, in, in closing, but why then does, would you say that in the case of Russia, let's say, and I mean, let's be fair, we don't know everything and we won't know everything until no. after, right. long after. Right. But based on your observation, um, why do you think their doctrine has not evolved? from that particular level, the World War II era level, let's say. Do you think it was because they believe they achieved a certain level of success, even though uh, one could argue that, you know, they had high casualties, but they believe that overwhelming force and numbers are uh, ultimately or would ultimately be the determining factor. Why do you think their doctrine has not particularly evolved? Yeah, that's a tough question. I don't really, I don't, I don't think I could speak really intelligently on that. Again, I can give an opinion. Right. That's what um, I'm asking for. Um, so I think in the end, you know, overwhelming use of force is probably still valid. Mm-hmm. It's a valid way to win a campaign. Um, it's, it's, however, the way you apply that overwhelming force that makes the difference to me. Um, they apply it indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. The rest of us try to be very discriminating. We're not successful many times, but we try to be very discriminating. Um, my personal opinion is it goes right straight to the top, to the leadership. I, I believe the man in charge over there is, is really stuck kind of in a 50s and 60s mindset. Uh, I mean, you look at his background, you, you can explain that very easily. They were prepared and, to fight the war that never came right. between the United States and right. uh, uh, the Soviet Union. Right. And they haven't necessarily uh, upgraded their thinking in that regard because they feel maybe that would be the... Um, the way things would be at some point. Right. Well, and you know, they're kind of like Germany pre-World War II. Right. They feel very, very uh, disrespected in the world theater. So, you know, a lot of them could simply be doing just as much as, well, we'll show them. Right. We'll show them what disrespecting us gets. Right. We'll show them what, you know, treating us like a third-class power after the uh, disillusion of the Soviet Union. We'll show them what that gets them, you know. And we're going to show the rest of the world what it's going to get them if they try to do this kind of stuff. So, Well, finally, let's just uh, say that, uh, as I always say, the world is a complex place. And nobody, no one person uh, has the answer for every single question. But I think in this case, we gave people uh, who are listening a little bit of insight and hopefully uh, gave the, the layman um, a little more knowledge for them to base their um, opinions on. So in closing, I want to thank uh, Major Mike Barnstable and uh, for taking the time and for um, answering the questions and giving us all this information. Mike, thank you very much. 
Well, great. Thanks for having me, Will. My pleasure. My pleasure.